we're feeling just super, because after making some Paris memories, we're going on a joyride with the Meg down the trench to visit Kokomo City by way of Kandahar. I'm Van Connor. And I'm Adam Ball, and this is Off Screen, your seven-day guide to everything movies. Boom. Groovy. Okay, so hello and welcome back to the show. Loads of new movies to talk about, of course, as ever on the show today. Uh, So we are going to start with Kandahar uh, on Prime Video from today. Talk to me about it, Van. I'm not going to I'm not going to ask you to tell me if you like it or not yet, because I know you hate (laughs) it when I ask you that at the very at the start. So uh, what's it about? Well, funnily enough, you've seen a sort of companion piece to this in Australia. Do you remember a few months ago, we reviewed, you and I reviewed uh, Guy Ritchie's The Covenant with Jake Gyllenhaal. Remember that one? Yes, 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 yes. I said to you at the time that it was weird that Gerard Butler had a very similar one coming out, and this is that one. And both, it turns out, have been released to Amazon Prime, weirdly. In the case of uh, The Covenant, that was uh, Guy Ritchie's like third movie in a row that went straight to Prime. Um, this is a rare one for Gerard Butler. So, similar kind of premise with a few tweaks. So here... You've got uh, the the CIA operative who's you know conducting missions in Afghanistan and Iran. Uh, a mission goes sideways, and he and the translator for the mission find themselves sort of outed publicly. Their faces and not their names, but their faces are everywhere, and they're being hunted by you know the mercenaries, the Taliban, ISIS, etc. All sides coming after them, and they have to make their way from point A to point B where they can be extracted back to safety. So kind of similar to the the Jake Gyllenhaal one in the sense. In this case, they. They had to get to Kandahar, which is 400 miles away. But as the clip we're about to play will tell us, it's not about the, the distance. It's about everything that's waiting for them in between. Have a listen to Jerry Butler trying to get to Kandahar. Stretching point. There's an old CIA base in Kandahar province. I just want to go home and I'll be with you. The distance is not the main issue. That's what's in between. Any of them catch my guy, I'll sell him to the highest bidder. There will be no sanctuary for you. Raise your hands. Do it before they get trigger happy. See, you know I love movies like this. So I'm going to enjoy this. I know I will. Would you say this is better or on par with, I forgot the name of the other one that you said that we reviewed. I remember the movie, but I can't remember what it's mm. called. I remember, I remember you, and I, I gather you remember the movie because you really loved that I loved movie, it, yeah. I remember, yeah. Um, right, this is, I would say this is about on par. It works as well, but in different ways. So it's not as stylish as the Guy Ritchie one, even though that didn't really have the wham-bam usual fizzle of the Guy Ritchie sort of signature style. This is still not as well directed. This is much, this is directed as a much more conventional action film. I say it's a Gerald Butler movie. It's directed by Rick Roman War. Uh, whose brother, incidentally, I know you were off uh, from BBC last week, and we didn't do this last week. Um, his brother, Scott War, did uh, a movie with Jackie Chan and John Cena that I reviewed on BBC last week with with Alex Grundon filling in for you. Um, yes. This is this is the brother with whom Gerard Butler uh, starred, he directed Gerard Butler in, I think it was Angel Has Fallen, the third one of those movies, and Greenland. So they, they have a rapport, and it's very obvious that this is an actor who's very comfortable in the directorial hands that he has. It's, like I say, a standard sort of A to B, you know, mercenaries in between type thriller. Great supporting performance from uh, Navid Degaba, 
who is one of those Middle Eastern uh, or Middle Eastern appearing actors who has just appeared in every Middle Eastern terrorist role that has ever been put for Hollywood in the last like 20 years. Similarly, you have a villain played by uh, Ali Fazal who starred in Victoria and Abdul a couple of years ago. I forget who was the Victoria in that actually, but uh, he, he, he makes an impression. He, but he again is one of those actors who keeps turning up in things to play the Arab bad guy. So there's a bit of typecasting here, which is interesting because the the Covenant was all about the characters. If you remember about that, we really loved those characters and we really loved the writing of the Covenant. Massively. We didn't, however, yeah, we didn't, however, love the pacing. That was a thing we discussed quite a bit because it was that first hour seemed like it was twice as long as it needs to be. Here we go the other way. Yep, this is this is a lot pacier and a lot more political, but a bit heavier on the action. So there's a lot more grandstanding about American foreign policy and, you know, how these wars have, you know, functioned in the last couple of decades and about the nature of the changing sides of the region and the corrupting influence of Western powers and things like that. There's also a sort of a revenge plot twist. You can sort of see coming a mile away from the minute you meet uh, uh, Naveed Nagarban's character. But again, rather like The Covenant, you do like those characters, not as deeply as you liked Jake Gyllenhaal and his translator. You do like Gerard Butler and his translator in, in a similar way, maybe not quite as much, I will say. But I think you'll enjoy this because I know you enjoyed The Covenant. You're talking about typecasting. Gerard mm. Butler in an action oh, King movie. Of. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, is he is he just the typical Gerard Butler in an action movie in this? I mean, it's the second Gerald Butler movie I've seen in a row because we saw we did Plane, what was that, three, four months ago? It's the second movie in a bloody row in which Gerald Butler's trying to get back for his daughter's graduation. So, I mean, <laughs> you know what I mean? There's, there's typecasting and then there's Gerald Butler, but he is one of those actors. He's like the state where he knows his niche and he plays well to it. You know, you can't fault him for it. Absolutely. If you know your niche and you need, yeah, you know, and he you've does got it well. To pay. You know. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, that's called Kandahar. Uh, I, you know, from what you've said, I will certainly be checking this one out because honestly, it's, I, it's I on really streaming. See, so it's it's not much of an investment, really. If you've got Prime already, this is you, you're not wasting ticket money on this. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it is on Prime Video from today. If you want to watch it, Kandahar, look out for it. We're going to be back in a moment when we look at Kokomo City, which is in cinemas from today, and also Paris Memories as well, which I'll be completely honest with you, I have no idea what either of them are about, <laughs> but we're going to find out in just a minute. So stay right where you are. Hello and welcome back to Off Screen. Right, two movies to talk about here. Paris Memories, out in cinemas from today in a moment. We'll see what that's about. But right now, Kokomo City. So, how did you feel about this one, Van? Uh, do you know, I, I, was, I found this quite harrowing, actually. Really, really informative and educating, but really harrowing. So... This is a documentary. This is a uh, feature debut, really, for uh, actress Dee Smith, who appears in, in the film on camera being interviewed as well. This is an exploration of the lives of a group of African-American trans sex workers. I think they're based They're based in a couple of places around the US, but I know Georgia is a, a frequent uh, stopover in it. And so it just explores their lives, not just the lives of being trans, not just, you know, the lives of being trans sex workers or just being sex workers, but also how all of these elements also play with being members of the African-American community and the extra challenges that that brings as well because of certain cultural stereotypes and 
prejudices. So have a listen and you'll get the general gist of this one. What we usually do as trannies, we be broken down, but we need to stand out. You gotta be the with the biggest boobs, the biggest body. There's some guys that they just wanna you. They don't wanna touch the They don't wanna see the They don't wanna be reminded that you were once born male. A lot of us are secrets to many powerful people. She's not aware of the fact that her black successful husband is upstairs in their beautiful condo down in Tribeca, laid up with a black trans woman. In no way are they there to protect us. I guess this kind of documentary kind of also points out the cultural differences as well yeah. with, with acceptance and things like that. Well, if you look at, I mean, it's something I'd never really considered from this angle, it's one of those things where you don't think about, for instance, uh, blatant homophobia, about how that is magnified, for instance, in the African-American community, yeah. how that would trigger its own entire bag of other issues. This was absolutely fascinating. This is it's only 73 minutes long, this. This is, this is a black and white feature debut documentary. I was absolutely blown away by this. This was absolutely riveting stuff. Compelling, fascinating, heartbreaking at times, but also as you can hear from the clip, we had to bleep a fair bit. It's quite blunt, it's quite candid, both uh, in terms of, you know, the, both verbally and visually quite candid. It's closing shot, we'll, we'll stick with it. It's a, it's a very earned final shot that manages to be one of the most powerful pieces of nudity you'll see, on, see in a movie this year. Uh, this is anybody's first film. It's absolutely astonishing. Um, I say, it, it just took, it took, took into consideration things like logistics and things like that. I just had never sit, sat and pondered. And in terms of you know eye-opening experiences, this really was something. This is something that I can see being absolutely water cooler fodder when it gets. And you know, I would suppose that probably a streaming release. I can't see this being broadcast on like a Freeview channel or anything like that. But put this on a streaming platform, and you're going to have people talking about this around water coolers. This is genuinely fascinating stuff. D. Smith genuinely needs to pat themselves on the back for this. Just absolutely captivating, just mesmerizing, fascinating, edgy seat stuff. Uh, short, punchy, doesn't overstay its welcome. Seventy-three minutes, not much of a, a, a time sink. But to be fair, I would have merrily sat through another half hour of this. Captivated to the end. Really loved it. What kind of um, cinemas are going to be showing this from from today? Because I, I, I'm not sure this is the sort of thing you're going to find in your local Odeon, is it? Oh, not maybe not a multiplex. This is the kind of thing you'd go to your picture house or your curs on your every man for definitely. Right. Well, if you want to watch it, Kokomo City, look out for it out today. Right. Paris Memories. Please tell me this isn't subtitled. It is subtitled. Ah! And it is, it is French. I know how you feel about subtitled movies. The weird thing with this one, actually, I was watching this movie thinking, I'm sure I've seen this. I'm sure I've watched this. Oh. And I could not shake this feeling all the way through. And I, I looked into it. And I, I'd not seen it at a festival. I couldn't find a record of like having reviewed it. Maybe it'd been delayed afterwards. No, but I'd seen this and I have no idea for the life of me how. So, new movie from uh, writer director Alice Vinicor, who gave us Mustang all the way back in 2015. That feels like it was five minutes ago, but it was 2015 apparently. Uh, stars uh, Virginie Ifira, who 
Do you know, I, I really love Virginia Fra. I see her in a bunch of uh, a bunch of French movies, and she's always great. She has a presence. I always enjoy her performances. And I was just, I, you know, I was like, yay, when she turned up in this. It was one of those moments. I was, I was just, you know, genuinely chuffed to see her. So she is, I think she's a, a newsroom journalist who's having dinner at a, a Parisian bistro one night when there's a terrorist attack. Someone comes in and just shoots up the place. And, you know, the, the, the place is laid to waste. We then flash forward a number of months and she has, you know, memory issues. She's holding her memory from the trauma of the experience. She's she's suffering from PTSD. She's coming to terms with what she's been through. She's physically still recovering, trying to heal up, you know, get things like that. And uh, and she starts to, you know, attempt to rebuild her life in the wake of this by basically addressing the incident head on. Starts with visiting the actual bistro, with joining a support group, with meeting other survivors, one of whom she starts to form a bond with, one who's walked away a lot more injured than she has. She starts to form a, a, a sort of unlikely bond with the sort of, a, a sort of survivor's bond uh, with him. And this is really just heartbreaking stuff at times, but it is heartbreaking in, in equal parts because of the writing and that performance by uh, Virginie Ifira. Now, uh, Vinicor's direction, I, I, I actually thought was quite impressive in this. It's uh, it's not really, as I would have expected something a bit more stilted given the subject matter, but it's quite a fluid sense of direction. The camera moves, you know, you feel, you, you feel very voyeuristic in this. You feel like, and it adds to kind of the emotion of it in that you feel like you shouldn't quite be a, you're, you're intruding on something personal because you, you do feel like a fly on the wall for this character's experience in this in a way like you stood over her shoulder like she doesn't know you're there kind of a feeling and yeah. that is very much a feeling of of Vinicor's direction here um again this is really something I, if, I know I know you'll never overcome your subtitled uh your, your subtitle discrimination that you've got but if you could I this is something you you absolutely you You'd love this. You really would. Well, it's a genuinely moving drama. French isn't so bad for me with subtitles because I did very well at school in French. I was about to say, your GCSE class is well, off, yeah, I got dumped on a French exchange for a very long time, at which point I was with a family who spoke not a word of English, so I had to learn French quickly, basically. So ah. I can kind of understand quite a lot of French if it's if it's in a movie. Um, so... Someone broke up with you during a French exchange or did you just get dumped there and left there? <laughs> no, I, it was literally just a French exchange that was a long time. It was a long oh, time okay. in, in, near Paris, so um, it, it helps. And of course, that was going to be my next question with something mm. like this do you get to see some really nice lovely parts of paris and is it painted in that typical parisian artistic way no it's very much there is a, a, a notable avoidance of romanticism to this right. in terms of using the parisian setting what you actually have is something a lot more sort of standard urban is the best way to describe this. They've gone for the much more boilerplate, everyday urban aesthetic of Paris. We'll also say as well, uh, Benoit Magimel, I think his name is, um, as the, the survivor with whom uh, Virginie Afira bonds. I think he plays Thomas in this, the, the more injured survivor. Uh, I, I really enjoyed his performance as well. There's, some, there's something of a Jared Harris to him, like a, like a, a, a French a French Jared Harris kind of a quality. Um, but yeah, I, I really love this. I, I wish I could figure out how I had somehow already seen this, but I did. It had been long enough that I did not mind watching it again. I will say that I'd say blew me away as much the second time. So that's yeah. Paris memories. Maybe you are the next Mystic Meg, and you just dreamt it, fan. Maybe you predicted it. 
but yeah, if uh, if you want to watch it, Paris Memories in cinemas from today. Right, coming up, The Meg 2, The Trench. We'll see what Van thinks of that movie and just super as well in just a second. We'll be back in a moment. Hello and welcome back then. Uh, we're going to talk about The Meg 2, The Trench in a moment, uh, which is meant to be pretty pretty big movie for this week but in a moment uh, but right now even just super um now i i haven't seen or read anything about just super so you're gonna have to start at the very top for me van right so this is a superhero based animated film goes goes by its original title of helt super i think it's norwegian and uh, the reason i have that out i've just checked it is actually norwegian uh, this is this is one of those smaller scale like cheap animation studios things, and the reason I knew it was I knew it was Norwegian sort of off the bat evidently is because they've not changed the names or locations for the movie. So it's, it's done like it's done in the English language with like characters with names like Hedvig and things like that. You're like, oh, I wonder where this might be from. Right. So let me just check the name of the character. Right. So this is this is uh, the story of a young girl, Hedvig. Yeah, funnily enough, yeah. Um, who's the the struggling sort of teenage daughter of the local superhero, Super Lion. Her dad is Super Lion, and his powers seem to derive from putting on the Super Lion suit, and then the suit gives him powers. But she messes up during her household chores one day, puts the Super Lion suit in the laundry and shrinks it, and now it's too small for Super Lion, so he can no longer be Super Lion. He has to find a successor who it will fit. And super Cat. He, exactly. Super <laughs> Cat or Super... Yeah, or Super Cub. But no, still Super Lion. And uh, initially, obviously, they try this with Hedvig, but she doesn't have the natural, abil- natural abilities that her father does. So he seeks, you know, a new successor elsewhere. In the meanwhile, she turns to her grandmother, with whom she has quite a tight relationship, who, who was also sort of a failed superhero herself, and her grandmother sort of trains her secretly on the side. Meanwhile, the new successor, who's also a classmate of Hedvig's, um, has designs and an and ego of his own that he's trying to feed, and may have, you know, may be leaning slightly towards more selfish motivations and behaviours of wearing the super lion suit. Have a listen. But everyone's got something, right? One thing that they're truly passionate about. Gaming. Woo! We have found your superpower. Everything will collapse. No one will ever stop me. Fine. He's out of control. Your own superpower. Daddy! I'm sorry, I just... I just can't get over the fact that mm-hmm. this is the protagonist of the movie and they've called it Super Lion. Like, <laughs> you, you, I just I just can't get around that. You'd think there would be a bigger, more powerful kind of name for something like that. I mean, mate, don't, don't forget, you know, we, we come from the land of Banana Man. I mean... True. Gotta, yeah, I mean, they've been trying to make a movie out of that for years, incidentally. They come close <laughs> to doing it every now and again. But, uh, I mean, what is the point of having great thefts like Gerard Butler if we never get a Banana Man movie? Anyway, so, um thing I'd say about this, like I say, it's, it's one of those small-scale, very cheap, uh, continental animated films. We've reviewed a few of these, you know, over the, over the past few years. We have, like, My Fairy Troublemaker, I think the most recent one we did. And I'll make the same observation with this that I did with that, which is 
this skews, these tend to skew really young. The animation is not particularly impressive. They skew quite young. It's one of those, I would say, like, your, your son is four. I'm going to guess, you, from what I remember, I think your son will be turning five in the next few months. That's right. He? Yeah, yeah, he will. I don't know if he wouldn't actually age out of this by his next birthday. If you showed him this today. If you showed him this today, there is every chance that by birthday number five, he might actually have aged out of this. Because wow. it's very CBBs. Like, they really skew this very, very young. Uh, but there is also this very patronizing attitude to, like, gaming and YouTube and things like that. It just feels like, oh, somebody, somebody's a parent on the writing team for this one. You know, they don't quite know how YouTube works, but they know to stick a reference or two in, in there. Okay, yeah, <laughs> very much one of those. Um, not offensively long or anything. It's like, it's 76 minutes. It's an hour and 16. Uh, so, I mean, once you tack on credits, you know, this thing's over before it really begins. It doesn't overstay its welcome, but to be fair, it never really asserts its welcome either it's like a cbb's thing you're kind of just sticking on let it rip like i say you'd put this on for albert and just have a nap on the couch you know what i mean like he'd, he'd sit on the, he'd sit on the floor cross-legged and watch this and you just have a nap on the couch behind him for an hour and a bit like regularly very happens. much one of those. yeah one of those you've done that on a thousand saturday afternoons i'm sure you yeah. would with this but perfectly harmless not offensively bad but it's fine well, um, if you want to make your own mind up, I mean, I'm sure I let my little boy have a little watch of it, see what he thinks at some point when it's out. Um, but it's out in cinemas right now. I will not take him to a cinema yet because his attention span is not long enough and I would imagine we'll be walking out after half an hour. But if you do want to watch it, it's in cinemas from today. Just look for Just Super. Uh, right, we're going to talk about The Meg 2, The Trench now. I will be totally honest with you. I've seen the trailer for this and... Yeah. It to me, it looks like Jaws meets Alien. That's that's kind of about the right realm. So, did you see the first one of these about like six years ago? Um, I, no, I didn't. I, but I, I'm annoyed at that because I remember it coming out, and I remember it being on my list, like many things, yeah. as you know. And I never got around to watching it, so I I didn't really know where I was coming from with with this when I started watching the trailer. So they're based on a series of novels by Steve Alton. Uh, which are a bit more highbrow, I think, than the films are. The film have been, films have been played a bit schlockier. Uh, and, and for the purposes of the film, they star Jason Statham as Jonas Taylor, a rescue diver, a traumatised rescue diver who usually finds himself uh, the hero, you know, saving the world from a giant megalodon. You know, the prehistoric mega shark. Yes. Uh, thing. Now, the, the first one was straight thing. They found out that the Mariana Trench, the, the lowest, you know, lowest point in the ocean, actually wasn't the lowest point in the ocean. There was like a, 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 a layer of, I think it was like gas underwater or something that you then had to pass through. And there was an entire other sub-ocean beneath it. And that's where the Meg and all of these prehistoric creatures lived. And one got out and that was the, the, the function of the first movie. We've now got the sequel flashes forward a couple of years in which uh, Jonas Taylor, Jason Statham, is now no longer just a rescue diver. He's also got all the skills of Jason Statham. Yeah. He, yeah, which means he can fight. All of a sudden, in this movie, everyone can fight. It's fast and furious logic. If you've got a sequel, everyone can fight. Um, and he's got a side hustle now where he's like an eco-terrorist. He just helps out with, like, Greenpeace causes by beating people up on oil tankers and, like, taking loads of pictures, things like that. Just as one does we all have a hustle you know this is this is his so he still works with the the mana one research company who you know do all the aquatic research that led to the discovery in the first place this time around 
they're, they're exploring the trench again, you know, where all the, the megs came from. They discover this, this underground mining operation that's like, you know, this this black black ops, you know, uh, clandestine organization that's, that's mining rare earth minerals using explosives from in the trench. And this allows several creatures to get out. But also, this comes after a rescue mission in which our heroes find themselves stranded in the trench with no way uh, to escape. So... The Megs are back, there's more creatures, but more importantly, there's more Jason Statham. Have a listen. Jonas, we need your help. We're detecting increased aquatic activity 25,000 feet deep in the trench. It's an ancient ecosystem untouched by man. Whatever is down there is trying to make its way to the surface. This is a bad idea. Just a little bit. We've got company. I, I love that. That's t- so typically Jason Statham, isn't yeah. it? Like one one mega line into a guitar stroke and then on to action. I mean, I, I think I'd sit down and enjoy this, to be honest. Yeah, you would, to be fair. I mean, it's complete crap. It is absolutely it's complete <laughs> crap. But it's enjoyable crap. I mean, the first, oh, come on, no one's watching the first movie and thinking, this is high art. It's a Jason Statham giant shark movie. The first one I always single out, you know, when, when people talk about delivery on concepts, because the first movie promised Jason Statham versus a giant shark. And what does he do? Man steps up to the edge of the boat, puts a knife between his teeth, jumps in the water and fights the damn shark. Now we have a sequel. And I will say, the opening sequence of this is actually really cool. So you get this whole sequence where we literally witness the prehistoric food chain. We, we witness the, the, the Cretaceous period, 65 million years ago. You see like bugs being eaten by lizards who are eaten by little dinosaurs who are eaten by a T-Rex, which is eaten by a Meg. You know, it's awesome. You literally witness the entire food chain of the Cretaceous. I thought it was, I thought it was a brilliant way to open the movie. That's the bit I saw in the trailer, and I totally agree with you on that. That was at the beginning of the trailer I saw, where you know you saw each yeah. animal eating the next one. I mean, I've got to say the CGI is quite impressive, but noticeably as well, they've actually designed their T Rex to look exactly like the one from Jurassic Park. Hence, I think the choice as well to have it sixty-five million years ago because that's the specific period Jurassic Park is in. Right, obviously, this is never getting mentioned in the same breath as Jurassic Park. Well. <laughs> no, like, no, no, no. I mean, th- this isn't even as highbrow as Deep Blue Sea. If we're being honest, this this is nowhere near. This is about as good as Piranha 3 Double D. The, the Meg movies kind of compare to Piranha 3D and Piranha 3 Double D. They're, they're about on that part, but with a bit of the stafe. And that's fine. They, they've not got aspirations higher than that, so therefore they have no need to be any better or worse than that. That's kind of where the bar is. Uh, supporting roster around uh, this time. Um, it, it's interesting that they've uh, chosen not to even pay lip service to what happened to Ruby Rose, because that just seems to be the fate of her career now. Um, you've got uh, so you've, you've got Skylar Samuels in there as a, a character I think is meant to be Ruby Rose, but it's not. I've, I've been trying to check this, and it's, it, there's no way to confirm it because the character's not named online. Um, you've got Cliff Curtis returning. You've got... Uh, I say you've got I forget the name of the guy who played TJ in there, but there's a couple of characters that do return, and you've got Sienna Guillory as the new sort of 
evil female Tim Cook, effectively. There's just there's just loads of gorgeous women who all seem to be evil. They they all wear they all wear hot outfits and they all seem to be evil because Jason Statham movie. Yeah. Um, yeah. The weirdest thing about it is new director this time around is Ben Wheatley. As in, you know, our very own, you know, British author in the making, Ben Wheatley. I think most recently seen doing that Hitchcock remake of Rebecca on Netflix, uh, Field in England, uh, Free Fire, movies, Kill List, movies like that. Ben Wheatley. And you can't quite figure out why in the hell he's doing it. And it's it, it, it's a directorial because tr- it doesn't look any better or worse than it looks a little trashier, but. You wouldn't see there's any more directorial flair to this than the last one, which was John Turtletab. And you're left there thinking, this is the weirdest directorial choice since Andy Serkis did Venom, Let There Be Carnage. And if you're <laughs> going from the tone shift from one sequel to another, Venom to Venom, Let There Be Carnage is about the right decrease in in in, 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 infl- in cultural inflation, in tonal inflation, I think. So I'm sticking with crap, complete crap, but fun crap for this one. It has got one of my favorite, you know, big baddie payoff lines of any movie I've seen in a good few years. Like, you know, you know, in a movie when they kill the bad guy, there's then a sort of, you know, uh, let off some steam, Bennett. You know, in, in, yeah, in, yeah, in yeah. Commando, sticks the guy on the steam pipe, says, let off some steam, Bennett. There's one of those in this. I'm not going to repeat it because it's worth the it's worth the ticket price on its own. And it's one of the best shark puns you've ever heard. I loved it. Only Jason Statham could have pulled it off. So the Meg is back. This has made enough money. In, the, the series has made enough money in China that this seems to have been made in 3D. So I imagine this is probably going to make the same amount of money in China as well. So odds on a Meg 3. Why not? Fair enough. It's got a, a a villain that looks like Hispanic, who looks like Hispanic Mickey Rourke, which is never less than amusing at any given point. Like I say, crap, complete crap, but fun crap. Lots of crap. There you go. Lots of crap, but a lot of fun at the same time. <laughs> uh, well, if you want to make your own mind up, it is in cinemas from today, The Meg 2, The Trench. It does look like a lot of fun. Uh, so... Go and see it if you want. We'll be back in a moment when we're going to talk about Joyride and see what Van thought of that. Stay where you are. Hello and welcome back to Off Screen Then with one last ride. Let's talk about Joyride. So this is out in cinemas from today. Again, another movie I don't really know much about, but um, I'm hoping it's got something to do with fast cars. I mean, I love that our last ride is a joyride. Um, <laughs> right. I mean, I, I can't tell you for, for broadcasting rules what the original title of this was, but it was brilliant. It's brilliant. I'll, I'll send it you in text form. Look it up. It's a pun on the, the Joy Luck Club, but it involves a curse word and it very much fits. So, a directorial debut of uh, Adele Lim. It's produced by Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg under a production deal that did a couple of years ago. And uh, it, uh, it has a, a core cast of four Asian-American actresses. Uh, and throughout the machinations of the plot, these four Asian-American women go to China in, uh, on, an, on, a, on an odyssey, effectively starting out as a business trip, but going on an odyssey to locate the birth mother of one of them. And this takes them on a sort of a, a hangover-style road trip all across China and they, as they start to challenge their own beliefs, challenge their own prejudices, work out their relationship dramas, beat through the, the issues in their friendships. It is a wild ride. It is absolutely... This is this is probably the bawdiest girl comedy I've seen since Bridesmaids. 
It's even got its own scene-stealing Melissa McCarthy type in in the form of the brilliantly named Sherry Cola, who I've I've never seen anything, uh, but she's she's the scene stealer you'll walk away from from this. Um, have have a listen, have a listen. This is Joyride in cinemas from today. I, I'm just gonna tell you straight off the bat, I absolutely loved this. I don't think I've ever been around only Asian people. I mean, we look like everyone else for once. I think we blend right in. Yeah, but. People here can tell Chinese Chinese from American Chinese. What do you mean? See? Okay. Hong Kong Chinese. Bluetooth. Shanghai Chinese. Bougie. Ooh. Taiwanese. Weird but cute. What kind of Chinese are they? You're trying to get canceled? Those are Koreans. Oh. That's howdy fun. It's a K-pop group. Yeah. They all have the same face. That's how you can tell. From what you from what you've said, it sounds to me like the kind of movie that's that could potentially end up with a cult following then. I see this being absolutely a sleeper hit. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is I, I could see that absolutely happening. In the way that, funnily enough, and not just because of the, the obvious cultural connection, but uh, Crazy Rich Asians did. In the way that it did become this small-scale studio comedy that actually did break big. I could see that happening here. I'd be very, very happy if that was the case with this. Um, this had me equal parts being moved and in absolute hysterics. I, I, I thought this really ticked the boxes. Now, the core cast are uh, Ashley Park, Sherry Cole, I've already mentioned, uh, Stephanie Sue, who most people would recognise as being the daughter slash antagonist of Everything Everywhere All at Once, and Sabrina Wu as Deadeye, the uh, K-pop obsessed, uh, you know, wacky member of the of the group. Uh, it, and, and there's, do you know, I mean, if I mean, I, I was loving it already. Brilliant studio comedy, say, ticks all the beats. Nice to see this demographic actually get covered in a film as well. Like I say, I mean, it's a very underserved demographic. In recent years, has really only had crazy rich Asians. And this is treading kind of similar ground, but going a lot harder on the R rating. Like, it's a much more sex-positive a comedy. There's a, a brilliant uh, intercut sequence with Fork and current uh, overnight subplots involving the, the different girls that uh, just had me in absolute hysterics. And I did not expect to see performed with the, the brazen level that they do in a studio comedy at this level. However, not even a however, I'll say additionally, they already, they, they already won me over. Then they got Cruel and Unusual. And there is a small role in there for none other than Daniel Day Kim. And when you've got Daniel Day Kim in your movie, you've got my money, sir. You've got it. And not not only that, but just one of the rare times that Korean actor Daniel Day Kim actually gets to play Korean, which is amazing. Um, I love this. I, I, I say, I, I didn't quite go where I thought it was going to. There were a few twists and subversions here and there, but I was really invested in the the, the, the characters, the, the, the dynamic between the different ladies really just drew me in. The writing was very sharp. The gags were really punchy, really funny. Like I say, this goes very, very hard on its R rating at times. There's, there's uh, a specific tattoo that's going to become like the, the the cultural reference point of this movie going forward. It's one everyone's going to talk about forever as being, oh, have you got the Joyride tattoo? Oh, it's going to, it's going to be one of those forever. You're going to hear about it off the back of this movie, Mark My Words. Um, but this this made me a fan of Sherry Cola. I will say that she's, she's like, she comes out of this the way that Melissa McCarthy came out of Bridesmaids. She's the really blunt one. Yeah. She's the really over-the-top one. She's the obvious scene stealer. But... Stephanie Sue, 
from everything everywhere all at once. I loved her in that. I loved her here as she's kind of the uptight one. And I like the idea of her as the sort of uptight, don't talk about my past kind of a one. And, and fun enough, also the one with the tattoo. Um, I, just a great time. I also, you know, has it, it's got you know the rel- the requisite gags that you have to have. You know, they have to do a bit of a musical beat. Uh, Ronnie Cheng from the Daily Show turns up, which you know, again, you've got my money, sir. Like, just have that. Also, incidentally, a Crazy Rich Asians uh, alum. But uh, I thought as the uh, would be sort of lead, even though it's more of an ensemble piece, but as the the lead, uh, Ashley Park. I really liked Ashley Park. I didn't know her from anything. I'm sure it's going to turn out that she starred in like five or six things that I absolutely love and just didn't realize because that's usually the case. Uh, But yeah, absolutely. Go and see Joyride. You will laugh yourself senseless. You're going to find yourself very caught, drawn in by the plot. And if you're anything like me, there will be a point in which you shed a couple of tears as well i think it's the best movie out this week i think it's going to become if it's not a sleeper hit then it's going to become a cult hit and i i could maybe even see them like doing a sequel on the back of this or at the very least adele lim is is getting a lot more comedy work out of this i'm getting vibes of like sex in the city in asia Kind of like that, kind of like that, but she was a bit younger. I will say that these kind of, I would say, uh, younger millennials. This this is definitely going to appeal to younger millennials. I think. Right. Okay. Yeah. No, it sounds really good actually. And um, if you want to make your own mind up about it and go and see it yourself, Joyride. It is in cinemas from today. Now, when we return next week, uh, we've got a load of movies to talk about. Um, oh, there's a couple in there. I've got a list in front of me. There's a couple I'm really looking forward to hearing from uh, you, fan. One of them is Gran Turismo. Yes, Gran Turismo. We are going to talk about that next week. Adaptation. Not an adaptation of the PlayStation game, obviously, because there's no plot to Gran Turismo, but it is based on the true story of how they attempted to recruit real life, recruit and train real-life drivers you know, out of Gran Turismo players. Yeah. Uh, we've also got the latest attempt to make a movie out of Haunted Mansion uh, next week. Disney's Haunted Mansion ride. Last attempted uh, 20 years ago with uh, Eddie Murphy. Um, I think it's the story of the Bangladeshi cyber heist. Uh, Billion dollar heist is out next week. Uh, we've also got an Irish documentary, Face Down, which is about the uh, the kidnapping in the 1970s, the still unsolved kidnapping of uh, a German businessman in the 1970s. And uh, I'm going to have to try and pronounce this right. Limancita, uh, <laughs> starring uh, Penelope Cruz, is the story of a mother and her children and the relationship between them all. In, I believe it's in, it might be, it might be in the 70s or 90s, I forget which, in Rome. So, I mean, Penelope Cruz is always good value for money. So, high hopes for that one, I think. Notice I didn't pick that last one to talk about because I had absolutely (laughs) no idea how it was pronounced. So, you know, thanks for that. (laughs) All right. Well, those are all the movies we're going to be covering next week. That is all we have time for this week. We will see you next week. Until then, I've been Adam Ball. I've been Van Connor, and we shall return.